Welcome to Healthcare Mixtape, where we're curating the ultimate playlist of healthcare content that you may have missed the first time. Here we share bonus episodes and greatest hits from some of our favorite shows, as well as exclusive interviews with industry insiders, all focused on healthcare changemakers and the disruption of the now. This show is produced by Shift Forward Health, the channel for changemakers. Subscribe to Shift Forward Health on your favorite podcast app, and you'll be subscribed to our entire library of shows. One subscription, all the podcasts you need, and it's all for free. I'm Jared Johnson, your playlist curator, and it's time to mix it up. All right, today we start our Greatest Hits collection, which is where we'll be replaying some of the top episodes from Healthcare Rap and other podcasts. Our episode today is titled Our Five Biggest Questions for 2022, and it originally aired as the last episode of 2021. Since we just passed the halfway point through this year, this seemed like the perfect place to kick off the list. In it, Zane Ismail and I asked five questions that we had for the healthcare industry in 2022, from connected fitness to staffing shortages, care models that bypass the hospital, and a lot more. So we wanted to replay it and see what progress we've made in the last six months. We hope you enjoy it. Check it out. Let the mix begin. Zane, this has been quite a year. Welcome back. How are you been? Good, Jared. How are you? This is, uh, I'm doing well. This has been quite the time to be in our field. I think it's safe to say that there's a lot of work to be done. There's a lot of progress happening, but first and foremost, the nitty gritty. How has the move been? Uh, How are things going for you? Holy smokes, Jared. So I think it's actually been, I realize our listeners would know, but it's been a while since the two of us have chatted. And so life's been crazy, learning, a big learning curve now working for a professional services firm and getting out of a more operations strategy role in the hospital. It's going well though, like having a lot of fun, enjoying living now officially in the city of Detroit. About a month ago, I was in Spain, which was a, a blast. And I was speaking at the International Hospital Federation Association, like global Congress. It was so awesome, Jared, just to get back out of the United States or even North America and like hit the international scene again. It was a little bit odd though with COVID, but good to see that people are starting to travel. But it sucks though, the last few weeks as Omicron variant has been dominating the news. It looks like people are going back into hiding, but overall been a very positive last couple of months and weeks and super excited to get back here and keep talking about the things we do because as the news continues to bring new revelations and headlines, like even today, looks like Cerner, sorry, is being purchased by Oracle, which not sure how that's going to work, but we could talk about it in an episode, but it's great to be back. Yeah, I agree. The news doesn't stop. And that was one that's breaking as we are recording right now. And uh, it sounds like rumors have been uh, swirling for a few days. And now to see, it looks like it's actually going to happen. I think you're right. I think there's a lot of question marks in my mind and uh, where that fits into the new landscape is just One of the questions that we are bringing into this new year, what a way to transition to our topic today, Zane. We're going to talk about five questions that we have heading into the new year. And my caveat with even framing it that way is I don't expect answers to all these necessarily next year. Sure. Some of the things we're thinking about or questions we have that we're putting out to the industry and the universe to, to manifest an answer. One thing I've learned and I continue to learn is that 
you get different answers based on the questions you ask. So it's worth spending time asking the right questions. And that's one of the basis, basis is <laughs> part of the basis of our topic today. Why don't we dig right in and, and get right into these so we can knock them out. We have five questions that we feel like we will be asking over the next 12 months and likely beyond that. But I can get us started here, Zane, with our first one. I was joking before and I used to say this is meta, but I think that has a different connotation these days. So I'm going to sure. say this is macro. Yes. That's, a, that's the term. But will healthcare become less hospital centric? Meaning where will consumers' healthcare journeys start and end in different places compared mm-hmm. to how sick care, fee-for-service, how this world, this industrial industry-based form of medicine, how it's been built up for the last couple hundred years? Mm-hmm. Will it be the same thing? Will consumer journeys for their health and wellness start and be focused on a hospitalist experience? And I can even broaden that out to any kind of provider, whether the it's a different type of provider group or a different type of practice, but will it be as hospital and provider centric? I think it's something that I don't know the answer to. I, I hear little pockets of it. I see movements like direct primary care and, I, and we hear about retailers. We talk about retail all the time on here. We talk about new startups and new digital entrants into healthcare and how those can potentially be a focus of a healthcare journey, but how big they get and cumulatively does that shift our thinking about our health and wellness? That's why it's a question in my mind. I don't know the answer to that. One of the other factors in it is is retail health to begin with. We've talked so much about Walgreens, CVS, Walmart, Amazon, you name it on here over the last year, especially in recent weeks, because there have been some big sweeping vision statements and statements made out there publicly by a lot of these companies. There have been granted uh, multi-billion dollar investments made by them too. So they're not just talking about it. They are putting their money supposedly where their mouth is. When I have some health and wellness goals or something I need to correct or fix or improve in my life, will I first think I'm going to call a doctor or I'm going to you know, speak with a provider and will I go to a hospital? Will that be the center of it? I, that's the question in my mind. I don't know. What do you think? No, I agree with you on that one. And as you're speaking, and mind you, I was actually in New York City this past weekend, which is a bit of a COVID hotspot. Luckily, I'm working from home this weekend, or sorry, this week, just in case I was exposed. But as you're speaking and talking about what is the role essentially of like incumbents in healthcare, I just want to connect with you because I'm, I'm thinking about my experience in New York this weekend, just hanging out with friends and roaming around the city as that city has been going through its sort of COVID journey. And not to always keep talking about COVID, but what I realize is that responding to COVID has allowed retailers, especially, and other modalities of other delivery modalities or channels to flourish and showing how they can deliver healthcare. So I think about the CVS of the world, obviously, I think, you know, I noticed there were like these roaming vans roaming around New York, offering people a test, like right in the van and they just drive down to the next block. What else? Lyft, Uber, all getting into the, the game of being able to either, you know, take you to a test or offer or bring you to a vaccination. And so I think in my mind, those experiences are breaking the traditional thinking and mindsets of consumers and might open the door for consumers to be open to additional services being provided by non-traditional healthcare providers. So they realize, wait, like, why do I have to go to NYU's ambulatory center up in Midtown or wherever it is? 
as opposed to this group over here who shows up in a van. And so that remains to be seen what the impact of responding quickly to a public health crisis might actually have on training consumers in wanting to receive care differently. And so we'll see. Yeah, yeah, I think you're spot on. You just named some of the consumer brands that as they've come into the healthcare space, they've been able to pick off just one part of the experience and say that that makes sense for us to wrap that into our existing consumer relationships. So we're going to do that. We're, we're going to try uh, transportation or whatever it is. Best Buy uh, buying companies that are focused on at-home health that tells you where you know, where their focus is, for instance. So will those cumulatively, and again, I, this is one that's I, th- I think it's safe to say will not be answered in the next 12 months, mm-hmm. but cumulatively, will we start to see a shift there where we start to think of treating our healthcare, treating our health uh, a little differently? So yeah, great thoughts on that. The next one, uh, number two, this had to do with staffing. You had a question about staffing. Uh, do you want to uh, go into that one? Yeah. So my question for this year is simply like by the end of it or within the next few years, like who will be left to staff our hospitals and and call it incumbent health systems or who will staff them in the future? And the reason why I'm calling that question is, even though I now work at a professional services firm, I still very much keep in contact with all my friends and colleagues and dare I call it family who still work in hospital systems. And they are struggling. I know it's on the news, Jared, but let me hit it again. There is nobody to work. And nurses are fleeing. And it's not just nurses. It's like people you don't often think about. So I think about like pharmacy techs, lab techs, certainly EVS. So the folks that clean hospitals, food service workers, you know, people that are doing security, valet parking, all these sort of maybe lower paid roles. People are getting out of hospitals and there's nobody to come work. And what concerns me is a the quality issues that health systems may face as a result of being understaffed and not just understaffed in nursing and physicians, but understaffed in other critical functions to make healthcare work like pharmacy and lab. But the opportunity then there that I think about is, and maybe let me take a step back, incumbent health systems haven't been great at responding to consumers' needs and desires, right? The type of healthcare we envision and talk about on this podcast, consumers have wanted for years, but incumbents haven't necessarily stood up to the occasion to need it. But now, now that we're in this staffing crisis, it's only going to get worse. I wonder if that might be the thing that finally gets hospital systems to, at scale, really start adopting consumer-first approaches to delivering healthcare that are largely enabled by technology. And my thinking there is potentially, and it's not always the case, but potentially and usually more likely than not, adapting these more digital and consumer-first care models might actually need less FTE count to pull off in a way that's still safe and equitable and fair and cost effective. So my question to the group then is who will be staffing health systems moving forward? Who's going to do it? And maybe it might be digital tools help helping to staff or augmenting staff to make sure that those that are still working, those that are still battling out this pandemic are at least working at top of license and working where they should be and not getting burnt out. And so big question that remains to be seen. The other thing I'd share too, at least anecdotally, this hasn't, this whole staffing crisis also includes physicians. And I keep hearing more and more physicians leaving hospital systems, leaving integrated delivery networks, and either just going into their own primary care practice, obviously surgeons are leaving, or getting into like this direct primary care arrangement 
uh, which we've talked about many times. You know, we think about Paul Thomas here in Detroit in Plum Health. And there's many of these practices stepping up. But again, just people really want, wanting to flee that machine of healthcare. But certainly the machine of healthcare was exacerbated through COVID and everyone just looking for a better life for those of us that still want to serve in healthcare. And so again, love to see by the end of this year who's actually still staffing these places and did it accelerate or decelerate the adoption enterprise-wide digital consumer-focused models of care. Yeah, I think if Olive has anything to do with it, it's going to be a lot uh, staffed a lot more by AI workers. Yeah, their vision for bringing basically bot workers to accomplish a lot of the administrative functions at the very least is intriguing, to say the least. Uh, the growth that they've experienced too and over the last couple of years is incredible. I think it's not talked about enough in other circles. I, I see it talked a lot about in the in-health tech circles, but not necessarily in the administrators, marketers, innovative la- innovation labs. Like we're not talking about folks like that enough, I don't think so. Yeah, great yeah. question. Well, and some of it goes back to at least what I've always brought to this podcast is like culture and education. And frankly, like a lot of hospital administrators don't know that language. Frankly, I'm not even perfectly well-versed at it. I couldn't host an eloquent conversation on robotic process automation. Not yet. I'll need to go study it. But they just don't know. And unfortunately, too, the behind-the-scenes work that I believe Olive is very focused on is not necessarily sexy or politically like internal to the system, like internal politically doesn't carry a lot of weight sometimes. And so those things don't always get prioritized. Mind you, setting up like virtual care and video visits, like that's very sexy, very earns you a lot of political chips if you can set it up. And so that's why systems focus there, in my opinion, as opposed to some of that foundational work behind the scenes. But again, maybe that'll change, we'll see. Yeah, I think it's a great question to ask. Hang with us. We'll be right back and check out these amazing podcasts from our friends. Hi, this is John Lynn from the Healthcare IT Today podcast. If you like the latest rumors, insights, and happenings in healthcare IT, you'll enjoy hearing my colleague Colin Hung and myself debate and share the latest happenings from the world of healthcare IT. Find the latest episodes or dig into our archive at healthcareittoday.com or search for Healthcare IT Today on your favorite podcast application or YouTube. When it comes to healthcare technology, we love this stuff. And we can't wait to have you join in on the discussion of everything health IT. Ed Marks here with Digital Voices, the only podcast for chief digital officers across all of healthcare and life sciences. Digital Voices is about the voice of the patient, the provider, the payer, pharma, big tech, retail, public health, really any part of the healthcare and life sciences ecosystem, that's the digital voice we want to capture as we learn and break barriers across the entire spectrum. Join us weekly as we drop our pod. Okay, back to the flow. All right, uh, on to question number three here. This is uh, one that I had a little bit of a struggle to put it into words, but I'm just going to go for it. (laughs) I think it's a question of will we see a shift in the conversation from digital health to consumer health. And here's what I mean by that. If I definitely hear 
people talking about how terms like digital transformation, there are quite a few organizations that feel like they've either done it or that literally just meant that they transitioned to an EHR a decade ago, that they stood up Epic or Cerner or whatever. And they struggle to see what the digital transformation is overall, like what the broader perspective of it is for other areas. And so there, there are organizations that have talked about their digital front door, which is progress, a lot of progress, actually. A lot has been done there to improve experiences, connect data underneath that. But are we talking about it in terms that resonate with people enough so that they understand what the need is right now? And that's when I talk about the term digital health versus consumer health, in my mind, embodies all of the things that we typically talk about on this program, which is everything from new retailers to connected fitness, which spoiler alert, that's going to be uh, question, number, <laughs> question number four a little bit. I'm still my thunder. <laughs> right. But it's all these new players that aren't necessarily in because they are a digital version of the existing type of care. It is changing the type of care. We're talking about direct primary care. You just mentioned Dr. Thomas, a great example of a very quickly growing type of care. Shifting the conversation, I think, is, is what the what I'll be keeping my eye on. But the reason for it is something that I've just recently realized. And I wonder if this will help that conversation change a little bit. It's the fact that digital health, digital transformation in and of itself, in my mind, and you can challenge me on this saying, but in my mind, it is a means rather than an end. I feel like it's the thing, it's the pipes, it's the plumbing that had to be built. And that had to happen as part of the foundation for what this next version of healthcare is. To be able to have a better, more consumer-focused type of healthcare experience, we had to have new pipes. We had to have the foundation redone for the healthcare experience. And that's not just on the hospital and health provider side. It is all along the spectrum. If you're talking about how do you engage with a, a behavioral health app or a, a mental health app, a anything that has more to do with upstream health and wellness and preventive care in our lives? In my mind, it has to do with the same thing. It's the same question. All these things had to be in place. Like we had to have some basic consumer behavior shifts and how we interact with digital tools. All that had to happen. We had to have data connecting and understand what the rules are and what the laws are so that you don't do it wrong. But in a lot of instances, we've made a lot of progress with the digital foundation that needed to happen. But we don't want to get lost in building that plumbing that we forget why we're building it. It's to build something on top of it, which mm -hmm. is this new consumer experience. How do we make things easier? We're still talking about online scheduling yeah. and how to open a provider. I just had a conversation last week with somebody who said, yeah, we're still struggling with that. Doctors still don't want to open their schedules. So I'm like, okay, these tools have been around for a long time now. And is it time to shift the conversation so that we have an additional reason to figure it out and improve the experience. Yeah, I totally agree. It's almost like there, there needs to be like a crew out there, a group of people say, listen, here's what table stakes is now. This isn't up for debate anymore. Here are the things you absolutely must need to be doing to even consider yourself to be like consumer first or even consumer oriented. The other thing that I was thinking about as you're speaking, Jared, is and maybe this is a, an allusion to where the market is going, is more and more now I'm hearing of chief digital officers or chief consumer officers, even chief strategy officers, believe it or not, being removed from leadership. That title doesn't exist anymore. And what, it, what I think might be happening, at least in some progressive organizations, health organizations, they realize that you know being digital or being consumer or being strategic isn't to be compartmentalized under one division. It is what we do and it is our business. And so I wonder if as we see some of those artifacts, if that ultimately might manifest 
into finally hospital systems starting to actually live out being consumer focused as opposed to saying, okay, we have our consumer project over here being led by this crew. Let's see what they come up with. And so it remains to be seen. I agree. All right. I didn't mean to steal your thunder here. Let's move on to question number four. This is all about conducted fitness and whether it will gain traction. Uh, You want to walk us through that one, Zane? Yeah. So I still have, and we've mentioned this before on the show, I still have a lot of questions and holding a lot, paying a lot of attention to where is the intersection between traditional healthcare, clinical care, digital health, and then connected fitness. I think those things are ripe for connection, ripe for disruption, if you will. And so this year, I'll certainly be watching to see what is it that Lululemon keeps doing and they now own Mirror, which is that really fancy and expensive device that hangs in your wall, which essentially is a mirror. And I believe there's a camera on it and it coaches you through workouts. And I think to it, you can now buy clothes. Of course, all the trainers on there are wearing Lululemon. But to me, it's if we really want to move care upstream, the further you go upstream, eventually you get into health and fitness. And to me, that's the ultimate goal is like, how do we ultimately keep people fit and healthy at home before they could ever need healthcare? Like it's too late, right? By the time you get to the point of care. And so I just think that these companies, whether they realize it or not, potentially could have a huge opportunity, financial and impact opportunity in healthcare. And we'll see if they get into it. So again, Lululemon, Mir, I think Peloton might have something interesting to say as well. They, this year, I think it was this year, they acquired Precore, which is the giant fitness company, sorry, the giant fitness equipment company. Most gyms have Precore equipment. It's really good. And then also like Amazon Care is out in that space because now Amazon Care is selling their product to the Hilton and Precore as well. And I mean, I don't want to claim to know a whole lot about Amazon, but I suspect they're one of those companies that they get into relationship with people, not just to sell, but potentially to innovate. So I wonder if there's like a Amazon care, Peloton healthcare opportunity down the road. Again, it remains to be seen, but I think there's definitely something there. I think there's a lot there. And I think you've been one of the ones that talking about it the most and the earliest. So mm-hmm. uh, I'm very curious about that one. And uh, for sake of time here, I'm going to move right into question number five, which very quickly, it's a simple question in my mind, but it's another one of these. I'm like, I had a hard time wording because it, it actually is an umbrella for eight other different questions. <laughs> but the, uh, the main question is, where will innovation come from moving forward? And the very first question in that subset to me is who is incentivized? Like which players in healthcare mm-hmm. are incentivized to innovate? Because we spend so much time and effort thinking and waiting for it to come from health systems. And at some points I I ask myself, is that even fair to them? Are they incentivized to innovate in a a a more digital or consumer first space? So that's something I'll be keeping my eye on and, and seeing if that shifts at all. And if that changes the conversation that happens in the industry to recognize, is it fair to put that on the health systems just because that they have been the center of so much of the healthcare experience in the past, how much of that is changing? And will we see that because different types of entities are incentivized to change and, and innovate and be the leaders and, and step up and, and take a risk and experiment on trying some something new, a new care model and integrating it and having a partnership with some of these disruptors? I'll just be interested to see where the innovation comes from. Yeah, I agree. And I guess my answer currently to your question would be currently the people that are really incentivized to innovate is payers. And so certainly look to progressive health insurance plans to see what they might be doing. United Health, I don't know if 
if I describe UnitedHealth as progressive, but they're certainly huge and always acquiring innovation and working on new business models and products. But the other person, and this is like far out, but I think the individual or the entity that has the most incentive to innovate is probably the patient, him or herself. And I guess what I mean by that is, and maybe one thing we can be watching for, and again, it's far out, is this whole notion of the patient as innovator or even biohacking, which seems to become more and more popular, where basically patients take it on themselves to you know, either develop new medical devices or software to manage their own chronic diseases because who knows their problems better than they do. And then the extreme of that is patients who might be I think it's borderline illegal too, but like injecting themselves with things or or getting on their own treatments and, and medication remedies and things like that just to take care of themselves. But in my mind, it's all part of this movement of the patient now taking charge of the gaps in health systems and filling them for themselves. I think it's, again, in my mind, they are the person that has the clearest incentive to innovate because they want to keep themselves well, healthy and alive. Oh, that's a great point. Those are just more things for us to keep our eyes on. And yeah. Zane, I think what we've uh, successfully done is uh, give people a lot of questions, yeah. <laughs> which, I, you know, that's par for the course right now. I think this yeah. is something that we've learned about how to look at the industry. And as we take a step back and, and I wish you a, a extremely happy new year. I, I just uh, want to thank you for all the time you've invested in, in this program this last year. It has been a wild year. <laughs> None of us knew what was going to happen. And uh, for you to be able to come back and, and continue offering just insights that get people to think and help them see healthcare in, in different perspectives. I think that's tremendously valuable for our listeners. And I just want to thank you for your time. Thank you, Jared. I really appreciate you creating this opportunity and continue to keep this platform alive. Let's keep it going. We'll keep it going in the, in the okay. new year. We'll keep doing this. And uh, it's a pleasure as always. Uh, stay safe, man. Stay well. And we'll be in touch. We'll do this again soon. Thanks for tuning in. If you like what you heard, please spread the word. Tell your colleagues to tune in for all the awesomeness. Then leave a review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen. This show is produced by Shift Forward Health, the channel for changemakers. Subscribe to Shift Forward Health on your favorite podcast app, and you'll be subscribed to our entire library of shows. See our full lineup at shiftforwardhealth.com. One subscription, all the podcasts you need, and it's all for free. And remember, we might have a lot of work to do in healthcare, but we'll get there faster together. Thanks again.